Streamers, they're kind of important to people discovering your game in 2022. Incredibly important, in fact. Which is why we were so excited to get veteran influencer manager and strategist Clara Sia to the podcast. Clara is currently working at Devolver and previously had a long-time stint at a third-party agency. She even streams herself on Twitch, and we had a lot to talk about given the complex nature of the streamer ecosystem. So let's dive straight into what I like to call streamer anthropology with Clara. I'm Simon Carlos, founder of Game Discover Co, and this is the Tales from Game Discovery Land podcast. Hey everyone and welcome to the Tales from Game Discovery Land podcast. I'm Simon and I'm here with Clara. How's it going, Clara? It's going just swimmingly. And <laughs> yourself, Simon? I am doing great, thank you. You know, I know it's wonderful and I'm very excited to talk to you because, you know, we're talking about we're talking about streamers and we're talking about something that I think is very important and honestly is still not discussed enough in game discovery, which is how you deal with streamers and how you interact with them and how they think. So I wanted to start by asking you, you know, you've been a long term Twitch partner yourself, focusing on indie titles. I just wondered to start with, how do you personally pick games to feature? Is it the outreach from the dev, the the game being great, all of the above? Uh, well, now typically all of the above. I've always been a casual streamer, so just because I have that little purple check mark doesn't mean I'm you know serious and a career streamer. I originally started playing Guild Wars two, uh, and then I moved on to other MMOs. I originally did it because I wanted uh, in-game gold. People were giving me in-game gold towards a legendary to stream, and I hated it. Um, <laughs> I grew to love it, and I moved on to AAA titles and retro games, and then I got partnered later that year. Uh, I discovered indie games for the first time. Actually. I just decided I didn't care about numbers. Uh, I cared more about just having fun and finding new things. So the discovery is now my favorite aspect of picking and streaming games. Um, I used to do these themed weeks, like, you know, paper themed indie games, dark themed games, farming, uh, or if a game uh, or a dev at a booth made an impression on me at PAX and then followed up after, I'd play their game. But now I'm super casual. I used to stream five days a week, now I'm just two nights a week. So I pick something that's come out recently typically that fits my current moods, oftentimes more chill uh, these days than otherwise. I think they're called cozy streams now. Uh, and because I'm not a career streamer, uh, I have the luxury to play what I want and I don't bother with the strategic game choice. But uh, that being said, if I ever did want to put series focus into my stream, there'd be a number of things I'd have to change about it to be commercially successful and that would include game choice I, I would definitely have to be more strategic about it yeah I mean obviously that's the nice thing about Twitch where you can have people at all areas you know people doing it for fun you can have people doing it more strategically for income and I, I did wonder about indie titles in particular it seems like maybe indie titles have a tougher time breaking through on Twitch sometimes than YouTube did, have you seen that and why do you think that might be uh, I actually think it's the opposite personally um, it, it, it depends on the genre some games will do better on Twitch and some genres, yeah, sorry, genres and games will do better on Twitch than on YouTube and vice versa. 
Um, they're completely different platforms, different mediums of content. Um, I'd say though, generally, it's probably easier to break through on Twitch than on YouTube, um, but YouTube has more lasting power for all genres due to its evergreen nature. So not just games as a service or highly replayable games or open world games, which just typically generate more content innately. Uh, but once, if you have your game on YouTube, that will last forever because they very rarely take those videos down. Whereas on Twitch, it's fleeting. Um, I'm not saying that streamers, uh, streaming is easy, but it's definitely um, an easier choice for a streamer to take a chance on a game for some number of hours until they get bored, then for YouTube to commit to pre-recording, editing, and then publishing it permanently more or less on their channel. So for a YouTuber, that content is worthless until it's published and they won't know how it'll do until it is published. A streamer streaming a game, all of that content is usable. It's monetizable content right away because it's live and they get live feedback as to whether or not it's working for their audience. So it's uh, for me, it's been easier to break into streamers that way. Uh, and then you get the hybrid influencers who are somehow able to do both live and VOD content successfully. I'm not talking about just uploading their live streams, just raw streams to YouTube. I mean, they make YouTube specific content and they make Twitch specific content. Uh, I'm, I'm saying Twitch specifically because instead of streaming, because Twitch is still by far the king of all live streaming. So if that's where you want your content to live in a live stream fashion, uh, Twitch is where you're going to be looking mostly. Yeah. Yeah, and it's an interesting point. As you say, it's like if you want to put together a video of a new game on YouTube, then you are going to have to spend time learning it. And I'm always impressed with folks like Splattercat, yes. who, you know, they seem to be able to learn games enough to do pre-recorded content on them and then edit it down. And they can only spend a day on that. And that seems really crazy to me. So I think what you're saying is if you want someone to try a game raw for like two or three hours and see if they like it, then Twitch is sort of a good place for them to get started. And then maybe if you get a hang of that, then maybe folks who are on YouTube would be also be interested in your game yeah uh one typically kind of follows the other again it depends on the game the launch the the beat the story beat as well um where you know oftentimes you'll have you'll give youtubers earlier access because then they can pre-record um they'll adhere to an embargo and then they publish the content a certain day and then live streamers just go live they don't have that pre you know setup uh, time that's required um and then you know, as i was saying oftentimes if something's a hit on youtube then which streamers will follow and vice versa. It really depends on what the strategy is for that particular beat. And I think one thing that devs often ask me or I've seen them say, they feel like uh, let's players or streamers are playing the same game over and over again. And in some way they feel like that's unfair or something. Do you think that's like a fair criticism? And why do you think that happens? Uh, well, sure. There are um, definitely a lot of single game or single genre streamers. It's, it's the path of least resistance. There's often still value though in targeting both variety and non-variety streamers though. So I wouldn't necessarily rule them out. I definitely still shoot for anyone who plays in the same genre as your game, even if they stick with mostly that, you know, the one or two titles. Variety is always harder to gain traction than sticking to one game or genre. Um, there are a number of strategies and metas that come and go in order to maximize, view maximize viewership, but they do it for a reason. It's the same reason that sitcoms have formulaic structures. You know, you set the expectation and then you meet the expectation. It's very tempting for streamers, especially new streamers who want to be unique, to have specially themed days like I did, regularly scheduled events like talk shows, interview segments, things like that. But by and large, it more alienates their viewers, uh, like it segments them 
Um, viewers just typically want a consistent experience with very little barrier to entry. And I'm, ta I'm talking about streamers specifically. YouTube, again, you can have the preamble. It's all pre-recorded. It's edited. You can skip back and forth. But unlike YouTube, you, you can't really easily rewind. It's not designed that way, a live stream. Uh, and catch up on any pertinent information, find out what's going on. The majority of streamers will join midstream. Uh, some will ask what's going on, at which point streamer or a moderator needs to interrupt things, answer them, you know, uh, fill them in. Most streamers on Twitch, they don't talk at all, though. They just don't chat. They're just what we call lurkers. Mm -hmm. um, that, that, by and large, that is the viewer um, majority, the ones that don't talk. They take in maybe a minute or two of content to can't remember what the latest average is, and then they silently decide to go elsewhere if they aren't immediately caught on to what's happening. So that's why, uh, it's just, for me, it's understandable why a streamer would choose to, and stick to one genre or one game, because it is the path of least resistance that is where their revenue, the easiest revenue lies for most. Yeah, so for example, for Northern Lion, if you come onto one of uh, his streams as a viewer, you're expecting him to be playing some kind of randomized game where he's sort of making slightly sarcastic comments to the audience <laughs> and it's kind of different every time, right? That's how it works. Yes. Uh, and then if he finds a game, uh, and it's not just you know limited to Northern Lion, but like if he finds a game, typically he sticks with it for a while if it does really well. So I think right now he's really into Super Auto Pets. <laughs> and he, he gained a lot of notoriety from Binding of Isaac. Uh, roguelikes have great replayability everyone kind of plays through them differently you get different stories every single time so yeah <laughs> yeah and i wanted to ask a little bit about designing games to be streamer friendly because i do think you've seen games like isaac that's done tremendously well and it's got it's had a multi-year long tail on streamers uh, have you identified what are the particular things in binding of isaac that makes people play it for so long so far after release as, as a streamer uh, well, the replayability is huge. Uh, if you've got a one-shot narrative game, you, you get one playthrough out of it at most. Most of them don't even finish them, typically. A lot of streamers don't finish games uh, if they're variety. They just keep moving on to I'm one of those people as well. You just keep moving on. If you don't stream very often, you stream a lot, sure. And there are people who grind it out and do 12-hour streams a day. I cannot fathom that. Um, <laughs> but most of the time, these people are streaming in their off time. They have regular day jobs and they're tasters. What made games like, well, first of all, the genre, roguelikes, um, the randomness of it, the, you know, the per, what's it, what's it called? Procedurally generated mm -hmm. aspects of those games make it so that each experience is different. And every influencer, every creator wants to be unique. They want to stand out and they want to create their own stories. One thing is through the gameplay itself. Another one is through its presentation and how unique it looks. Um, I advise on how to make games appealing to streamers all the time. I do a lot of consultation on that, but I would never dream of changing a developer's vision if streamers aren't part of their interest in marketing. Uh, but if it is, that's where you know I can provide that. So not every game is made for streaming, not every genre uh, will appeal to influencers. And some of them just as a whole tough to sell. So point and clicks, for instance, puzzle games, that, that's always going to be, you're, you're fighting against the stream. They'll still make it. There's always going to be the one or two breakouts here and there. But for the most part, it's it's instantly like, oh, we've got a lot of work here. <laughs> That's where we want to go. Um, so anything that uh, where the playthroughs are unique to each player typically have a better chance to pick up. Sandbox survivals, branching story paths, choices matter, even if it's vanity. <laughs> anything where the influencers can make their own hilarious stories. Uh, we just actually launched uh, an immersive sim called Weird West that I knew mm -hmm. would generate some crazy shareable moments uh, on social between each other they talk they're they you know like for their friends within the northern line circle 
um, who will play games that he recommends because they talk, they know each other very well, they know what they're into. And then they create new inside jokes within the streaming communities, which is something just so attractive to them. Um, anything that generates strong reactions, so horror games will always have a place in content creation, absolutely. I think also the same with, with films, <laughs> you'll always see horror movies. Um, and then of course you, you want to have something that's visually appealing or interesting. And that an interesting is in the eye of the beholder. So in this case, it can absolutely look like a super low poly mess, you know, however you want to describe it. And it'll still be appealing. It couldn't, can still be appealing to influencers. I mean, look at Crab Game, right? right. Um, give them some good clickable thumbnails how to make them stand out. So you, you don't have to ha be hyper-realistic, but have a distinct look. And that is already a huge step above like 95% of what's released on Steam alone. And then uh, they'll mostly be talking over your game. So sound is slightly less important, but still important. It's one of the most commented on aspects of a game as you're watching any stream. It's like, wow, this music's so great. Or like the voice acting is really good, but not too much voice acting because then you're taking away from the streamer's voice. So all these like little aspects that affect the appeal to streamers, if that makes sense. And then there's also the, you can go to the next level as well. You can get really fancy and do Twitch integrations, chat to game interaction, uh, Twitch extensions, metagames, incorporating a streamer ecosystem. Um, there's just, wow. I mean, it, can, it goes on and on and on. I've done a lot of it, <laughs> consult on those as well. Yeah, and, and one question I've had before is like, how much do you think the streamer has to think when they're playing a game versus responding to the audience? Because I've had this concern, maybe, if some <laughs> games are too complicated, you won't really be able to spend any time seeing what your viewers are doing. Is there kind of a happy medium there? Oh, that that's that's tricky because it, you're going from different bands of streamer and their 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 concurrent viewership. So the you know the bigger the stream, the less likely they're going to be reading their chat almost at all. They kind of glance from time to time, pick out some choice things to respond to, and then they go back to the game. If they're skill based uh, influencers, the ones that you know most of the time they're shooter uh, type influencers or strategy based, and so you're seeing them like putting in some sick plays as they call it. Um, so they interact a lot less because they actually stay focused. Most streamers, though, absolutely most streamers are more seen as entertaining streamers, entertainment streamers, uh, and they will do about half and half. Um, I always say when I play a game and someone's like, how far are you into this game? To tell them like how much progress I'm at. Um, I've been playing it for four hours, but realistically in real time, in real game hours, like two and a half. Because that's how much time, and I'm, I'm being honest, that's how much time I'm spending rambling on, off tangent about things, responding to chat, reading chat, looking at other clips, getting distracted with, you know, like tweets and things that people want to show me. Um, and then the, because you're focused, I have ADHD, I'm diagnosed with ADHD, so it's even harder for me to stay focused. Um, and But that's kind of part of the fun, the stream of consciousness plays into it. So um, streaming is mostly for the vast majority of streamers who are successful commercially are more entertainment than yep. skill-based and so it is it's pretty I would say evenly split between yeah and at that point if it's more entertainment based it just basically means you just need to be able to stop playing the game for a little bit to see what people are talking about or indeed mm -hmm. if you're to your point if your chat is going so fast because you're a, you're a popular <laughs> you're a really popular streamer it's not like you're going to be able to see what's going on that much anyhow you're just going to be concentrating on maybe if people are subbing to you you're going to say thanks to them because it popped up Ex on screen exactly like like right. you, want to re you reward the people that monetize your stream and i mean there was this incident where uh soda pop and he's so big his chat is just constantly moving he didn't even know there's 
unfortunately things called hate raids. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. not sure if familiar. He received a hate raid. He didn't even know it happened because he just doesn't look. Um, so, <laughs> but again, a little off tangent here. You do you don't want to ignore your mid tier, small to mid tier streamers at all. They have highly dedicated audiences. They are just lapping everywhere. They're there to watch whatever that streamer plays. They're there for the community and for the streamer, not necessarily for just the gameplay. Um, and so they're they're also important in your marketing plan. So don't take those uh, out of your plan. Always take them into account. And, and those are the ones where you can actually be in the chat as a developer or a publisher. You can sit in that chat, you can chat, you can talk, you can interact yeah. with them and get direct feedback, or you can just, you know, listen. Those do matter. They still definitely matter. That's actually something I was uh, interested in talking about, which is kind of how you subdivide uh, streamers, at least mentally. You talked about it a little bit, and I think it's just difficult. There's a lot of developers out there, I think, who have not really paid a lot of attention to the streaming world. And so it's difficult for them to tell, you know, the different types of streamers. So if you were to sort of subdivide the sort of three or four main types of streamer, could you, you know, are there some that are entertainment first? Are there some that go very niche? Are there some that have uh, audiences who are more likely to buy games than other types of audience, for example? Yeah, and it's not just streamers. It's all all kinds of influencers, so including YouTubers. I, for instance, I I will always avoid uh, when I can, unless it's a very specific crowd and I, I'm familiar with it. I stay away from no commentary YouTube channels. Um, for the most part, they're I mean they're called spoiler channels for a reason. Uh, their audiences, by and large, watch those videos because they don't want to buy the game. They just want to see it, uh, and so they'll post, you know, all the bosses fights or all the cutscenes or just play through it so they you don't have to buy it. Uh, so that's one thing I avoid. But there are certain channels like Alphabet Gamer, for instance, where I, no commentary, but his audience specifically looks for new and upcoming games that might interest them. So there's always exceptions, but you just have to get to know them. For the most part, though, they are kind of spoiler or like tech demo type channels that I just they have uh, no marketing appeal to me. I mm -hmm. uh, don't definitely don't strictly use follower and subscriber counts as the only metric to care about. There's the highly engaging ones, influencers. Uh, there's it's it's so hard to to break them up. Um, for sure, entertainment, but that's in itself such a big category. And then there's skill base, which is also a big category. And then you've got like the tomatoes of the world, and not the fruit, but the <laughs> the streamer himself. He's very good at games. Uh, Dumb Dog is another one, very good at games, and can read chat, and can commentate, and can make funny commentary and stories and and whatnot. Uh, so you've got those sort of gold dust ones as well. And then from that, you've got the highly engaged. They're very concerned with community, the community forward streamers and YouTubers. So they will respond in the comments. They will respond to chat. They have Discord channels that they participate in every day. They're on social. They respond on social. Um, and, and those are also very appealing to, to marketing as well because their audiences are there for them. They will listen to them. They have true influence. And then there's the other ones that are uh, very commercial. They're there for the brand deals. They are celebrity yep. level. <laughs> and they also have value depending on your beat, depending on your game, but you don't get ready for <laughs> other types of conversations that come up. Um, so uh, speaking of the follower and subscriber counts, look at their their views more, the concurrent mm -hmm. viewership. Look at the engagement. Is there any? Uh, you're going to see some channels that have very high viewership and zero comments. What is up with that? <laughs> if there are comments, what are they saying? Is their community a good fit? Are they asking questions or are they just saying nice? 
um, what kind of commentaries does the creator do? Uh, are they more critical? Um, like, for instance, Splattercat is there to specifically showcase new games. He is there right. for the discovery. He's there to spotlight devs and do a you know a service for them as well as his viewers. Um, or are they more involved with just making revenue and boosting their brand? Uh, what kind of content do they make? Do they do Let's Plays, editorials, reviews, comedy cuts, top 10 lists, uh, lore, deep dives, tips and guides? There's just so many different types of activations that you can get into. Uh, so it's really hard for me to bucket them. Yeah, no, and I don't think, it, and that's kind of why I like the space. So I think, you know, I'm a bit of a wannabe cultural anthropologist here. And I think, <laughs> you know, and I think there's so much out there. There's so many weird scenes and specific types of streamer, you know, like because I was a little bit involved behind the scenes on Hypnospace Outlaw, I was checking out Germa's <gasps> screen. And, you know, Germa has a whole other kind of like very odd meta. And there's all kinds of interesting people out there, I think. So I think that's one of the things that's great. But it's definitely been my contention that uh, a lot of game companies don't spend enough time understanding this space and it, so is has that been your one of your thoughts that maybe sometimes we spend a lot of time thinking about sending out press releases but less time on getting kind of deep into the anthropology of how streamers work or i love that you call it that the anthropology of how streamers work its own ecology its own ecosystem yes i absolutely find that there i can't tell you how many times one of my previous clients any of my previous clients would ask me things like uh clara is is poggers good <laughs> what is kappa um <laughs> So how do, how do you get around that? I mean, if you have the time, if you have the energy, and if you you know you have the resources to do it, be a part of the culture, join the streams, watch the videos, be in their chats, their discords, interact with them on Twitter, which by the way is still the best place to connect with them on social media. It's not Instagram, it's not TikTok. It's not, I mean, like some of them are there for sure, but Twitter still the place to be. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a culture with many subcultures, and uh, it's not just understanding the lingo. It's also uh, this is probably the biggest disconnect here, is understanding their needs. Uh, there's a massive, massive lack of appreciation for what influencers want in a partnership with brands, which includes game devs. Uh, ultimately, they want engagement, they want viewership. Uh, it's how they make their revenue, it's how they grow, how they obtain notoriety um, and garner and hold on to influence whether or not they like that word. A lot of them yep. still don't like that word, but that's what they want. They want to attract more brands. They want to legitimize their long hours. Um, but what affects that viewership up or down? That's the mystery. Uh, so you have to put in the time and energy to get the creator ethos. Uh, it is very time consuming. Um, that's why I had a job for four years at the agency. Um, and the business only grew and grew as our success and influencers grew. So, I mean, like, just to give a little context, between there were only two of us influencer managers there in a team of 13, 14. Mm -hmm. By the time I left, the company's revenue, 40% of that of the year was influencer work. So it's such a large piece of the industry that deserves to be understood and will only pay back to you if you take the time to understand it. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's been, um, you know, I've interviewed Splattercat for the newsletter. When I was at GDC, I had, I had Northern Lion talk at GDC, in, I think 2014 or 2015. So I've definitely, <laughs> I've definitely been super interested in the space for a long time. And I think what people sometimes fail to appreciate is just, you know, the depth of these audiences and the and just the depth of the amount of streamers you can deal with, even even foreign language streamers. I mean, yes. I, I don't know, I don't know how you work with this. But I found that, you know, there can be German language streamers, uh, Turkish language streamers that are massive as well. I mean, how, how do you 
you try and keep keep track of that type of stuff? Are you do you have a country by country list as well? Because not all these folks are English language, right? <laughs> not country by country, but language, uh, because yep. they are all over the place. So I mean, French, it could be any number of countries that have French mm-hmm. as their national languages. Um, and so by language, I do. Uh, when I was at the agency, I was global outreach. Now that I'm at Devolver Digital and we have an army of PR agencies from around the world, I can now disseminate the, some of that work uh, because they speak the language. It helps with a lot of things, not the least of which getting embargo information very clearly communicated <laughs> with very little risk of miscommunication there. Um, but I, I have affinities with definitely certain demographics, certain non-English demographics. I absolutely love Portuguese uh, creators. They are fantastic. The Spanish creators, also, there's highly, highly dedicated audiences, massive audiences. Probably some of the biggest audiences, if not the biggest audiences you'll see on Twitch are actually, I think, Spanish and uh, Portuguese streamers. Um, Korean streamers, also fantastic. I love the German streamers as well. I mean, there's just such a... And they each sort of have like things that they're, they gravitate to a little bit more. Russian streamers, Russian YouTubers, same thing. Very highly dedicated. And kind of a tip, if you want to look at sponsoring them, they have lower rates <laughs> also by <laughs> far uh, from North American streamers and YouTubers. Now what we do is we coordinate, um, you know, who, because there's also crossover since language and, you know, region is, they're, they're separate, but I prefer to do it by language. It's easier to separate that way than looking things up. It's just an extra layer of data that is unimportant to the end result. So, uh, you know, we coordinate the outreach, we make sure all the timing is the same. Uh, certain regions may get a little extra love depending on where our devs are, if there's any certain affinities to it, or if they've shown any uh, special, special affinities to a game pre-launch, uh, which does happen a lot. So, for instance, uh, Syria Sam uh, are made by Croatian, I think, no, I <laughs> Croatian, Croatian devs. Yeah. And then the latest um, Syria Sam game came out from a Russian mod team turned dev team. Uh, and so we had lots of love from Russia. And it's, it's you just have to like keep your eyes and ears open and be very, very open to the fact that it's not just about our little bubble here. There's tons of influence all around the world. And they're just wonderful to work with. I absolutely love it. Yeah, and I think it's interesting you mentioned the paid side of things. I was going to ask, you know, uh, obviously you have been involved in helping to pick streamers for paid streams, but do you have any tips for people considering using paid streamer time? Are there times when you can pay money and it's really a waste of money? Are there some, is there some types of streamers that you think don't get great ROI for people who actually are selling games? Oh, yes. I the, I mean, this is a, a whole thing on its own, I think. Uh, but I, when I was at the agency, uh, I ran into end service for uh, influencer campaigns. So I also created processes because there weren't any. It was the Wild West. It, it still kind of is. Um, but what that means is I, I if there was an influencer budget for a launch from any of my clients, I'd be the one to spend it. I'd do the recommendations. I'd create the lists. I'd do the outreach. Uh, and the negotiations, the admin work, the legal contract, the compliance, all that stuff. Um, so the budgets ranged as small as 5,000 US to six digits. And I came close to a seven figure spend at one point. Uh, so if you're considering paying for content, sponsoring influencers, creators, doing any sort of activations in that sense, and it doesn't have to be just gameplay. I actually personally love the more creative things like doing a cosplay or a commissioning a creative controller themed to a game, that sort of thing. I, I love those. But you know, anytime you're paying, that is the one spot uh, in influencer marketing where I will always say to hire someone because it is terrible work to just walk into uninitiated. Um, it's not just a matter of, okay, well, if you do this, let me just, I'll, I'll just PayPal you 50 bucks. I don't, 
I'll Venmo <laughs> you $1,000. Um, it is uh, curating, first of all, the right talent for the part. There are literally tens of millions of streamers on Twitch alone, tens of millions. Um, and YouTube is massive. Then there's negotiating the rates and the terms, the deliverables. Um, and it's not, you're not talking with independents only at that point. You're talking with the agencies that represent them if they're your, you know, influential creators are typically represented, not typically, often, I should say, represented and managed by agencies and talent managers. Um, there's the admin, the legal contracts, like I said, um, definitely have one drafted up by um, someone in the legal world. Don't do it yourself. Cover your, your butts. And it's going to be anywhere between three to nine pages. Just be ready mm -hmm. for that. Uh, monitor for compliance after that. It's just a nightmare to walk into that experience. And there's also a lot of nuance for negotiating rates. It's not just a matter of standardized CPMs or anything like that. You have to consider their actual influence, um, their engagement across all the social platforms, the production quality, the value as and follow up content, especially if it's evergreen, um, you know, lives forever. Um, and some agencies just charge more for their mm -hmm. one off activations because they're mostly interested in long term brand deals um, and or they're very old school Hollywood. There are some agencies that are very much snapping up influencers now um, mm -hmm. and have been for the, the past few years and you'll see eight managers and their assistants cc'd on every email every single one of those people got to get a piece of the pie so you, to, all i see is dollar signs going up 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 when i when i work with them it's got to be worth it <laughs> and then sometimes the advice is not to spend any money at all there's a misconception that if you have a big game that's when you should have your big budget that's for indies you know that realm the sort of double a area that's, that's just not going to be the case, and definitely not for AAAs. Uh, I definitely had some AAA clients back at the agency. They had so much power and influence as the brand that they would send out these three-page documents that they would have to read, copy and paste a line at the bottom, reply with that just to get access to a code a couple days before this. You know, like, so mm -hmm. those are those games will get coverage. You don't need to spend money there if you, if you I mean, you can, and you'll still probably get something out of it. But um, it's the ones that need the visibility. That's where you need to put the budget. It's kind of, it's reverse. Um, and, and so that's, so that's one thing that I, I try to get out there and everyone's approach with the deliverables different. Mine is simply, uh, have fun, make the game look good, make me look good. <laughs> and, and that's like, I don't want to take away your voice. So yeah, you don't want to be too specific because as you say, if you're, if you're producing yeah. agreements, which is, you can't say these 12 terms while you're yeah. doing the video. And and make sure you have awkward. these six hashtags in your going live tweet. <laughs> yes. Let's just kill their, their algorithmic engagement right off the top. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, I'm also on the same page with you. I think that, you know, paid ads, I'm definitely a bit of a paid ad skeptic in general, but I, th <laughs> I do think you're right. Like in many cases, you know, big brands can spend around launch and it won't hurt, but probably people were going to pick up that game to start with anyway. Yeah. And if, if they keep playing it, it's going to be based on whether it's actually a good game or not, which uh, you can't really control on the marketing and streaming yeah. side of things. So, I do I do actually yeah. uh, want to add one thing to, sorry, uh, to uh, answer one part of the question that uh, I totally neglected was wh who isn't as effective Typically, the, the streamers, if you, if you just watch their streams and you just know what they are, there are certain spheres where they're mostly meme or troll channels. Their viewers are there to watch them, their personalities, and they aren't really there to buy the games at all. You'll still get a bump by giving them a code. Not paying them, but like if they play the game, your category will rise just from that alone. The numbers will just bump the category up. That's good too. Um, but you probably want to stay away from paying their agencies, which they charge a lot of money, and you're not getting as much uh, back uh, for that. So. 
just something to keep in mind there as well. Yeah, and like like maybe folks like that are good for selling energy drinks, but they might not be good for selling games. Exactly, like, exactly, know. or toilet paper, which I have seen. And <laughs> I think it's hilarious. <laughs> well, yeah, it's getting it's 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 getting pretty non endemic with the Steam sponsors at this point. I, guess, I love so, it. Yeah. I love yeah. the blend of lifestyle and gaming now. <laughs> the dream yeah it's, it's going it's going pretty crazy out there so yeah. <laughs> um yeah so i had another related question which is sort of paid services or semi-paid services and i'm not picking on any of these sites in particular but what do you think of third-party sites that match streamers to devs and publishers like woovit keymail oh. or i think Lurkit? like like how do you think they fit into the ecosystem <laughs> um i think marketing is hard and expensive and game development is hard and expensive <laughs> so i don't ever blame anyone for using those services and in most cases it's probably better than nothing at all but you do have to be careful who you're dealing with because certain platforms i won't name which have had practices where they they simply list every game it's just standard they list every game out there on the platform as available for requests they take requests the dev and publisher have no knowledge of this and then they they get pitched for a sale with like, look at all the people interested in your game that we, we drummed up. So that's not the best practice that I, and they promised me that they'd stop doing that. <laughs> but I'm still finding our games on they're completely not initiated by us or our devs. By the way, I actually ran something about that in the newsletter because someone told me about it and, and the uh, and the service in question did also tell me that they changed it. So I might go, I might, I might, I might go look at that myself. But that's, yeah. I, I have recently just gotten into it again, we'll just say. <laughs> I was like, you promised me. Um, <laughs> and then is the other side where they um so even if because i've also had to manage these campaigns that are on these platforms for previous clients before you know like it was sort of a legacy work that they did before they hired me uh so i would manage them close them out and then move on or or continue to manage them if they want to keep that open but still use my services um so i'm i'm familiar with with how they work and that you know you do still get the final say yes or no however there's also that side where uh, despite them all claiming that it's impossible to spoof identities of big uh, influencers on there. I have been shown by influencers how easy it is to pretend to be them asking for keys on these platforms. I have many, many times, countless times, asked uh, you know someone that I actually know. I'll send them a DM. Did you request this key? And like I've never signed up for that platform. Uh, and, like you know, I see them on the list. So it got to the point where I didn't send any keys at all over those platforms. I'd reject everyone and then send the keys to those I approve. You know, in my heart, uh, directly to their DM and email. So it at least got to the right place. Whether or not they wanted the key in the first place, at least I'm not neglecting them if it happened to be them and it's not going to uh, somewhere else and and just to clarify why do people do this why do they spoof why do they scam it's whether it's on the key distro platforms or a youtube scam network they're just getting more and more now vanity stream steam curators or over email it doesn't it's because they want to make money selling those keys on the gray market um, so I've had many small devs tell me they put their games up for early access visibility on these platforms, then their games end up on cracked wear sites within days or the gray markets within days. So um, it's just uh, almost always, if not always, if you want to put money into doing even the bare minimum work in influencer outreach, um, hire a freelancer who has actual relationships with influential creators and then they can get the keys to the right place, even with the most reputable platforms, which, and they exist. You're not hitting the really big people um, because those influencers are in such high demand, almost none of them use these platforms. If you don't send the key upfront in your opening email, if email is still what you use, you're, you're not gonna hear back from most of them because they will get the game. They, they don't need to use these platforms, but uh, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and, 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 and that's definitely been my view. And I think sometimes these platforms, I mean, as you say, some of them are well run and some of them get kind of good levels of small and medium creators. But ultimately, I fear that they're sometimes a bit of a box ticking exercise for yes. PR companies yeah. who want to show that they know how to do streamers because they can send people who don't know any better a mm-hmm. list of all the people who ask for a key. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Despite the fact that those people may or may not be influential or may or may not be, on a few occasions, may or may, may, or may not be the people that they claim they were. Yes, so, yeah, I, I do think- also totally kind of off tangent is, is uh, Steam curators. Hilariously, I just tweeted about this, but I have a plea, please, to anyone listening, (laughs) please stop sending Steam curators keys over email. If you're going to send them to them at all, which arguably, eh, but uh, (laughs) if you are going to send them, please send them over Curator Connect, where they get the game sent directly to the library Mm -hmm. and they can't resell them. If they're asking for keys over email, it's because they want unredeemed keys to sell in the green market. And they certainly do not need multiple keys for the quote unquote team to write two sentences and click recommended because there is a character limit. <laughs> Please. Yeah, 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 no, and, I've, and I, I actually think it's unfortunate. I think the curator system started out as a good idea, but yes. I think it's become a little non-dynamic. And I think uh, in, in the end, it wasn't quite the, the, the solution to the problem I think it wanted to be. So, and as you say, it is right for people claiming that, that they're gonna be covering your game. But in fact, in, in fact, the uplift, and I've seen on Steam backends, you know, the uplift, even if a, Medium-sized curator covers you is a little is a little uh, limp still. So I think yeah, I think it's worth staying away from entirely potentially. Oh wow! Oh, I didn't say it, but <laughs> I'm also <laughs> I, I did, and I'm, I guess it. I'm in charge of this. I'm in charge of this podcast. So I can say that. <laughs> Who's running this shit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no, no. I, th- I think that's fair, and I think that's a great point. Yeah. So I, just kind of focusing on what maybe devs and publishers misunderstand about streamers. I know we talked about this a little bit, but I do feel like there's going to be quite a lot of the audience who just don't deal with uh, streamers. Twitch folks or YouTubers on a regular basis like what's the thing you think a lot of people misunderstand when they think about motivation of streamers uh okay so definitely one is exactly what you said just the motivations of streamers it's very basic they just want viewership they want to you know have something that's sellable to their viewers whether it's just watching or they're actually buying and they get affiliate you know revenue out of it it doesn't matter they want good viewership and they want to provide them content with good viewership um one <laughs> there's no secret I think one of the biggest misconceptions isn't about the streamers themselves I don't think there's the biggest mystery there uh, it's actually what we do that is I think the mystery is like, you know, what, what are we hiring are you just sending things out you know um, there's, there's really not a big secret either to what I do at the end of the day in the methodology of reaching out to them I've never really kept secrets from my clients and what I do I just I send the same emails that you do mine might be even more boring because otherwise I end up in spam but they respond to mine <laughs> so it's the relationship and the steeped know-how that's what you're buying when you hire an influencer marketer. Um, it, it's it's just the fact that they we've been talking to them for a long time. We we get them, and and a, a common misconception of what we do is the same thing as like community managers. They feel like oh, they just tweet a lot of things. No, it's 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 a lot of in the back, uh, you know, behind the scenes work of strategizing. Uh, and whatnot. So I specifically actually changed my role, my because t- I got to pick my title when I went to Devolver. 
Um, it, it was influencer relations manager at the agency. Uh, and I changed it to influencer strategist. It came to me in a dream. That's why I messaged my boss. This came to me in a dream because a lot of people just think I sit at my desk and send, send game keys out to streamers and YouTubers all day. It is the smallest, albeit so intensive, but the smallest part of my job. Uh, the work is mostly consultation, it's strategies, recommendations, anticipating response, setting expectations, planning, pivoting, constant change, executing both paid and organic work, um, and then extending that tail even after launch. And that's something I really love about working in-house versus at an agency. There's pros and cons to either. At the agency, I felt more like a mercenary, whereas I feel more ownership working in-house at Devolver. These games are my games, you know, and I, and I feel like I own them forever. But maintaining relationships still the key. I didn't want to take that away necessarily, but I wanted to emphasize the fact that our value is the know-how. It's not just who we know. It's also how we know them, how we reach out to them, and how we can recommend their games get under the best light when they're launched. Um, so my job starts actually as early as the pitch from the first yep. call and then go uh, straddles, you know, community, production, but mostly lies in marketing. One thing that I think developers don't understand is how to interact, like you said before, with, with influencers. In a stream chat, for instance, it's I see it all the time, very key mistake, they backseat game. You know, they just, they don't want the streamer to miss anything. So they start going, no, look under the box. There's something in there. Don't do that, please, seriously. <laughs> Let them experience it themselves and nothing will kill the stream faster. Um, and then maybe this was a bit controversial. Um, I don't think you have to play games or a lot of games to make a good, even commercially successful game. But I do think that if you want to specifically appeal to creators as part of your plan, you need to stand out. Uh, and to do that, you need to know what has stood out before to them, what does appeal to them. And you have to play a lot of games to understand that. That's, that's one of my values. I play a lot of games. I'm always playing games. And if a pitch comes in, I can compare it to a lot of things that have worked and have not worked and why. Let's look at the difference. How does this stand a chance? Something else, almost no streamer likes motion blur. Give us the option to turn it off. <laughs> and accessibility options, hugely important to a vast number of streamers. These are people now showcasing how your game is playable, how it's played. Give them more options. I think that's, that's a really big one to highlight now. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think discovery, as I've talked about extensively in my newsletter, starts very early in development. So I also feel, yeah, you know, when I consult, when I work on things, if I'm brought in with like kind of three months to go, I'm kind of like, well, I can help yeah. you 20%, but I could have helped <laughs> you 80% if we talked about this like like a year and a half ago. So yeah, uh, yeah I think I, I think that's... I can be the, the, the letter pusher. I will send the emails for you. <laughs> <laughs> I can, yeah, I can definitely hit the send button. Yeah. But let's, let, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit earlier about this. So yeah, and I think... I, I think it requires you to have a more holistic approach, as you say. Yes. I do think. I do think. I do think that's key nowadays. Because to your point, I mean, I do. Th I'm looking at games that are popular on Steam now, and a lot of it's driven by streamers. So you really need to have a good understanding of whether streamers will like your game. I think uh, quite early in the process. Yeah, absolutely. And then sometimes you just throw the kitchen sink out. Go on you. Go on Twitch. Throw some gifts out. Throw some MP4s out. What is it that people engage with? What do they like? Lean into that. If Again, if that is your goal. If you don't care for influencers, make the game of your dreams. Don't compromise for anything. But, you know, um, that you do, do your A-B testing. Get out there. There's no time like today to get out there. Um, but as you mentioned, holistic approach. When I look at a pitch, I don't just look at the pitch. If I'm interested, I then go to their Twitter accounts or social media. I check out if they've got a Discord. How's their community? How healthy is it? What are they talking about? are they already sharing um you know what are their values it's it's it is absolutely a holistic approach when you are dealing with this yeah
And, and that's interesting because certainly as, as, as an influencer strategist, that isn't necessarily what people would expect you, you would be doing. But I do think that's an important, important part if you're really going to help with strategy, which I think is increasingly important. Yeah, I mean, like, for me, one of the biggest things I do is what is the hook? What is the thing I can do? What, what is the one sentence I can use to sell a game to influencers? Sometimes it's simply notoriety. This guy made Pony Island. Like, that was enough for, <laughs> for an inscription, for instance. Uh, you know, Dalio Mullins, a lot of, you know, they've he's got his cult following or like or do you like frog factions like you know love this that sort of thing right um and and i don't typically like to do it because i sound if to me it feels reductive but you know saying things like it's zelda meets dark souls or whatever but i know that it does sell quickly uh an idea and and it's not to be reductive it's simply like now listen to the rest of what I have to say. Uh, so yeah, it, it is finding what it is that influencers like, what's worked for them, what it is that they put in their titles. That's a big clue, actually. If you go to YouTube, um, there are two things that are very important to the algorithm for pickup. And if they do well in the algorithm, you do well because you want them to people to see your game. One is the thumbnail. Mm -hmm. uh, give them assets, transparent, layered assets, isolated assets that they can customize for their video. The worst thing you can do is only provide the same key art to everybody and that's it. They can't do anything else. They have to get their own screenshots, which may or may not do very well. Give them elements to move around and make unique thumbnails. That's part of the algorithm pickup. The other one is they think really hard on their stream titles or their YouTube, their video titles, um, because that is also algorithmic. So look at what they they write in their title. Splatter Cat, like you said, excellent dude for picking the right words that will get picked up by the algorithm. He plays so many different indie game types. Look at what he's writing about, and that's what they're interested in. Yeah, no, that's great. And we actually um, have had a podcast uh, which will air, air probably um, about a month previous to this one from Kate Gray, and she's been a, 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 a freelancer, and she's worked at Nintendo Life and Kotaku and Rock Paper Shotgun, and she was talking about the importance of giving key art to the press as well. So mm -hmm. we, we definitely think that um, you know getting the right key art to people is important, and it's not always the same uh, art that you're putting on your Steam page. So you mm -hmm. really need to think about like how you're segmenting your, uh, your media and who you're sending it to. Absolutely. Um, so I think uh, I, we're getting towards the end here, but I'd like to ask a final question that I'm asking all of my guests, and it's just in terms of uh, what games you've been playing recently and or semi-recently that you're really excited about that you'd oh. like to tell our audience about. What am I not playing? <laughs> no, no, okay, I'll, I'll leave Devolver games off the list because I'm, I'm always playtesting. Right. Um, lately, very most recently, uh, Tunic is, is absolutely brilliant. I recently 100% in Nobody Saves the World also brilliant from the juice box what are the the, the um guacamole folks yes guacamole drink box Close. drink box yes that's what it is thank you <laughs> i've also like the rest of the world been playing elden ring it's on the back burner now while i get through the latest launches uh whereas i like to call it breath of the wild on crack because it is amazing <laughs> that way <laughs> there's real danger just imagine breath of the wild but there's real danger everywhere i uh. love it um, I regularly revisit Deep Rock Galactic, one of my favorite games now of all time. I just started Core Keeper. I am obsessed with getting my bi-weekly-ish achievements in Vampire Survivors. It's an auto-fighting <laughs> auto game. It's so good. I got hooked on uh, Dicey Dungeons recently. It's kind of oh. an older one. I'm halfway through a run on The Captain, which is a, a fantastic little sort of choose-your-own-adventure game. Very well written. Great pixel graphics. Wow. Uh, I just got back into Hades, 100% that, and Dandy Ace in the same category. Uh, replaying Katamari Damacy and uh, Cookie Clicker because I'm a loser. Um, 
I think I think I think you've managed to single-handedly exceed uh, the number of games mentioned in all four of the other podcasts that I've recorded so far. So congratulations. <laughs> But yeah, no, that's that's really cool, and all all of those are great games, and I, I and I wish apparently I don't apparently I don't make enough time to play those, but I obviously obviously need to, so I'm impressed. And as you say that that it's good professional work as well. I presume you expense you expense those games, I hope, because it is a business expense. So. You know, I should start. <laughs> I expense my Xbox Game Pass. I'll say that. <laughs> Okay, it's a good start, yeah. But yeah, yeah. No, no, I think that's really cool. Well, that was wonderful, and and, and thank you. That was that was a great list of games, some of which I'm going to have to go back to, I think. And yeah, and once again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure. That was lots of amazing feedback about streamers and how you approach them and how you work. So thank you. Honored to have been on here. Thank you so much for the invite. And that's the end of this particular podcast. We'd like to thank Clara for coming onto the podcast. You can check her out on Twitter at SeriouslyClara if you'd like to know more about her and her work. And once again, this podcast is made by Game Discover Co., home of newsletters and consulting around game discovery. Sign up to our newsletter at newsletter.gamediscover.co and upgrade to the paid plus tier if you want. You get a bunch of great stuff, including Discord access, bonus newsletters, and more. To end, the credits. Many thanks to our producer, editor, and transcriber Alejandro Linares Lopez, theme tune composer Keith Bayliss, aka Vimster, and all listeners and subscribers. We'll see you back in Game Discovery Land in a while. Thanks for listening. <laughs>